Hey y'all. Hey y'all. I'm Ashley. I'm Charlotte. And together we are Wokish Podcast. On today's episode, we are talking about cultural appropriation and then white defensiveness. And we're going to merge those perfectly, so don't you worry. <laughs> but first, cocktail of the day. So we <laughs> are talking about cultural appropriation. So the one cocktail that we found, we all know and love, a Mai Tai. You might be wondering, what is a What Mai is a Mai Tai? <laughs> So a Mai Tai consists of white rum, lime juice, orange liqueur, syrup, and dark rum. Mixed really well and most likely served at your favorite local tiki bar (laughs) in a cup that resembles a totem pole. And probably has a little umbrella on top. And some other garnish to make us feel like we are on the beaches (laughs) of Tahiti or you pick a Polynesian island. And that's where we want to be. (laughs) So why is this drink cultural appropriation? Let's start with the word itself, Mai Tai. So Mai Tai is a Tahitian word for good. It means good. And how do you spell Mai Tai? Originally, it's one word with a hyphen in between the A and the I. So how do we spell Mai Tai at the Tiki Bar restaurant? It is two words. The M is capitalized and the T is capitalized. So in my view, I feel as though we have taken the word Mai Tai itself and made it more palatable to the American or to the English speaker so that you don't have to think about how to pronounce it, how to spell it. We all know what Mai Tai is. It's pretty easy. The name itself loses its Tahitian origins by the way that we market the word. Why else might it be cultural appropriation? Totem poles. Those are not things that we would like to drink alcoholic beverages out of. When you look at the history of what a totem pole means, where they stem from, and what they still mean to the indigenous people around the world, it's almost the equivalent to like drinking a cocktail out of a Jesus <laughs> crucifix <laughs> and not thinking anything's wrong with that. So I think there's a lot of people that would get pretty up in arms if I would like some Buddhist cultures or Muslim cultures started serving alcohol out of Jesus crucifix. Yeah, we wouldn't drink an alcoholic drink out of a Buddha head. I don't think. Yeah, I hope not. I feel like maybe there are people that would. I think so too. Like I'm, I may have seen a Buddha cup. Yeah, that's sad. I feel like I may have seen that too. Yeah, all this goes into cultural appropriation and why we chose this drink, which we're gonna talk about now. So yeah. don't feel bad if you ever had a drink out of a totem pole cup because probably both of us have. Yeah, and they're trendy. Yeah, and it's not necessarily up to us what kind of cups restaurants bars and use. restaurants use to serve their cocktails in. So this is not a call to shame yeah this is just again the whole reason of this entire podcast is just to shed light on issues and help you you know think more broadly think about things in ways that maybe we haven't thought about them before absolutely so let's get cracking cultural appropriation what What is is that (laughs) well that's a loaded question right (laughs) do we have enough time (laughs) so how we see cultural appropriation is using aspects of another culture consist of dress, physical appearance, mm-hmm, music, food, staples that make up a culture and using it in a different way than one it was intended for or making money off of someone else's culture, looking down on someone else's culture while doing the same thing but it being marked as trendy if mm-hmm. you do it in unacceptable if another person does it. 
perpetuating stereotypes and negative misperceptions about a culture and just generally being disrespectful and misrepresenting populations of people. And a lot of it, I think, stems from folks just not knowing the history behind things that they do. Um, And a lot of it is just marginalized groups are already um, trying to be the voice for things like police brutality and things that affect us day to day that we're, you know, things like wearing a daishiki may come at the very bottom of the list of like things that we think about as um, harming a marginalized group or what have you. It's pretty overwhelming to think about cultural appropriation, I think, in today's society because there's so much talk about what is and what isn't cultural appropriation. Like, there's people that are saying yoga, the entirety of yoga is cultural appropriation, and, like, eating Mexican food is cultural appropriation, and singing songs in different languages from different cultures is appropriation. And in some cases, those things may be true, but there's also a tendency to kind of overshoot Mm -hmm. and say that things are cultural appropriation so often that the meaning of what cultural appropriation actually is gets lost. And so we want to discuss a little bit more about what we think cultural appropriation actually is in a critical way so that we and anyone who's listening can think critically about their own actions and their own life and understand better what is and what isn't cultural appropriation and what they see around them, what you see around you. And we'll do that by giving a series of examples that we see in our own lives, that we've seen in just celebrities and whatnot, kind of tie all that stuff together and and give our take on why this would be cultural appropriation and not appreciation. So if you watch MTV Decoded online, which is a really awesome, I don't know, I guess it's like a video blog or or series by a woman named Francesca Ramsey, who tackles a lot of hot topics around like social justice issues. And she has an episode on cultural appropriation and she talks about it as part of three things. So she talks about cultural exchange, cultural appreciation, and cultural appropriation as being three different things. So cultural exchange is when you have a sharing of different aspects of a culture. And we see in this very globalized world, we see cultural exchange happening everywhere. It's a positive thing. Yeah, and it's a really positive thing. So we have access to a lot of different types of food because of cultural exchange. Mm -hmm. We have access to different words from different languages that we can take and appreciate and share Because we don't have words, for example, in English that have similar meanings. Um, And so cultural exchange is a respectful and mutual sharing of different pieces of different cultures. Which is protected by, like, fair trade agreements. Uh Like, I think about, like, just the coffee I'm drinking. Is this from Uganda? No, it's probably from Trader Joe's. (laughs) (laughs) But just the idea that, you know... You're taking, so you're being mindful yeah. of where your coffee is grown and is it being yeah. grown responsibly and shipped in fair trade and all that stuff. So, sure, that's yeah. cultural exchange. Yeah, I think international trade is, uh, it's definitely fits into the cultural exchange yeah. piece. And then the second thing that she talks about <laughs> is cultural appreciation, which is when we take pieces of other cultures 
because we think that they are valuable and meaningful and we understand the history behind them and we can take them on and use them in a respectful manner. For example, I very much appreciate good Mexican food. Just Mexican culture all together. Yeah, right, yeah. And I can appreciate... I can take something from the Mexican culture, like, you know, words or recipes or articles of clothing, perhaps, um, and use them in my own life because I have an understanding of where they came from and because I'm using them for my own purposes, they Mm -hmm. don't perpetuate any kind of negative stereotypes. I'm not abusing anyone or hurting anyone by using them. I'm showing an appreciation for something that I consider to be a valuable addition to my life that I don't get from my own culture. Mm -hmm. And cultural appreciation, I think, we show in many ways. Often when people travel to different countries, we're traveling so that we can seek out other cultures and we can learn about other ways of living and foods that other people eat and the way that people dress and the things that people believe and how they talk. And we can learn about those things and appreciate them without appropriating them. Right. Like we're not... I think about when people go to Mexico and they come back with their hair braided. Oh, God, yeah. Like, they go on a cruise or something, and then they come back and they have, like, braids. And beads and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Please don't do the cruise ship hair stuff. (laughs) It doesn't look good on anyone. No. Especially, like, white people. Come on. The, the, like, the little... And the pain you had to go to, but not that hurt. (laughs) It's not worth it. I never did that because my parents didn't ever take us on a cruise. Um... (laughs) Ditto. (laughs) (laughs) I did have the beans, though. So there's cultural exchange and cultural appreciation, and then we get into cultural appropriation. And cultural appropriation is when we take pieces of a different culture, a culture that belongs to marginalized populations, and we take those pieces and we misrepresent that culture by using them, and we disrespect that culture by using them. This can sometimes mean perpetuating negative stereotypes um, about the people whose culture we have taken. It can also be an example of privilege where we can take certain pieces of a marginalized population's culture and leave other pieces that we don't find as desirable and just kind of pick and choose how we take on those cultural components. It can also mean taking components of a culture that are often treated as negative things and when we take them on we like Ashley was saying they suddenly seem cool and trendy and people treat us like we're cool and trendy and hip for doing things that have been done for decades yeah so it's it's complicated so but basically cultural appropriation is any time that you take on a piece of someone else's culture that ends up having a negative impact on that culture culture. you stole it from (laughs) yeah (laughs) And culture vulture. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just make that up? No, girl. You know Post Malone. You know I love him. Oh yeah. And so he's been called culture vulture. Oh. Because he's, he's a white guy. Yeah, with the tattoos yeah. and hip hop. I do not feel that way. Okay. But there are people in the black community that feel like he's a culture vulture. Sidetrack. Yeah. We'll get to interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah. I don't really know enough about him to have an opinion on that, but that's interesting. Well, and there's a little gist. The Post Malone we see today is no. not the Post Malone that we know now. No, I think maybe I'm sorry, you was were it, telling me. Was the one before? 
he got all his tattoos in his look when he signed his deal. So yeah, so it gets a little sticky. Yeah, yeah. like you had a brand you wanted to sell. You're right. And and it, and it sucks. So it takes. He's such an amazing artist, and it takes yeah. away from his artistry. So I, I'm I'm upset that he had to go and try to look a certain yeah. way to be um, marketable. But I also feel like as a society, why can't we allow a white guy to be a white guy? To just look like a white guy. Yeah. In, in, in the hip-hop community, you right. know? Like, why do we just automatically downplay their art- artistic skills right. if they don't look like the typical rapper? Yeah. You know? Right. And not just not even just Post Malone, like Little Uzi Vert, all these dudes with beads and stuff. Like, just yeah. not what my hip-hop generation is used to. Like, Nelly right. wearing a Band-Aid was too much. <laughs> it was like, dude... You know, yeah. we're we're used to the the clean Jay Z look with the yeah. fitted cap and the jeans, not little Uzi Vert wearing beaded yeah. hair and dresses right. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so but that's fine. You it's can fine. Hip hop community needs to catch up, but anyway. Yeah. So yeah. So anyways, <laughs> let's let's talk through some examples of cultural appropriation that we see pretty commonly in society to maybe clarify these things that we're yeah. talking about. So we talked a little about music and cultural appropriation there with Post Malone and hip hop. Yeah, to be um, determined. To be determined. Cultural appropriation. <laughs> I think my dislike of him so much clouds my judgment. But <laughs> I think about Serena Williams. She has been killing the game lately as being a mom. And first thought about her when you were talking about how she struggled giving birth. Yeah, which we stuff. talked about in our last right. episode, two episodes. And so I watched that Being Serena. Uh huh. Oh, did you watch it? Uh huh. On HBO. I haven't seen it. And I didn't know this because I just was not a huge tennis fan. Basketball's my life. And so I didn't know that when she first started out, just the slack and the... She got booed off of tennis courts because of her body shape. Because she was Mm -hmm. a black woman with these braids and these thick thighs and just super Mm -hmm. curvy. And one day she wore a cat suit and people just lost their They're literally telling her that her body was inappropriate for the tennis court. Which is ridiculous. Like, she's killing the game, yeah. but the thing she's battling is not her actual performance. It's yeah. the fact that she wore a bodysuit and Which was seems like it would be it. really easy to play tennis in. No, Like, I would rather wear a bodysuit than wear, like, those little ruffle skirts that they girl. want lady tennis players yeah. to wear. Yeah. So she was definitely break through the coals for her body. And then seemed like those same people praise the Kardashians. Yeah. For their bodies. And so we look at the Kardashian clan, with the exception of Courtney. She actually doesn't have any implants. But those women totally have enhanced their body structure to look more like the typical African American woman who was being made fun of for having big lips. Yeah. Or, you know, self conscious for having a huge derriere and big <laughs> boobs and all these things that are I don't want to say tradition, traditional black woman because I know, like, I have no big butt. And I I do not want to be made to feel bad because I don't have a big booty, okay? <laughs> little booties matter. We already talked about your inability to dance. Girl. <laughs> so it's not the typical black woman, but black women for years have been, you know, made to feel like their bodies were not yeah. plotable, not marketable. Right. You open up a magazine, you know, that's why I like big butts and I cannot lie. Right. It was such a popular yeah. song. So you, you have, you know, Serena Williams being disrespected for her body type and Kim Kardashian and the Kardashian clan being praised for the same body type. And so the cultural appropriation piece is that bit that you're talking about with the difference in the treatment Mm -hmm. and then also 
I think, because enhancing yourself to look better. Yeah, the Kardashians have chosen to select that particular piece of black culture because it's something that they can make money on and it's something that they can brand themselves as. So not only are they picking and choosing what pieces of black culture they want to take on, where like black women can't pick and choose the parts of black culture that they want to keep. Like you are who you are and your culture is your culture. So you take the, if people like big butts, great, you benefit from that. But like you can't separate out the societal appreciation of a big butt. We just want the big butts. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like you still have the hair. Right. Like the stereotype of being like a loud black woman or like an angry black woman. So like you can't separate out the big butt part. Right. And the Kardashians get to do that. They get to take the big butt mm-hmm. and leave everything And the big else. lips. Yeah. And they also make a lot of money off of these things that they have selected. Kylie is a self-made billionaire, yeah. girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, their, I mean, their image is obviously their brand, and that's what they make money on. And by taking things out of black culture and making it their own, they're making... I mean, Kylie especially, Kylie especially is making with these lip tons kits? and tons of money with the lips and the butt and the cornrows and, and the, all of these yeah. things. And literally the black boyfriend, the Travis yeah. Scott. Like Travis Scott is, a, I don't want to say huge, but he's a hip hop rapper. Like, yeah. And um, and just the idea that they're able to do this and it's praised, you know. And then you have. Yeah, and so many like black people who (laughs) genuinely have all of those things. They have the big butt, they have the big boobs, they have the big lips, they have the cornrows, not because they're trying to make an image, Mm -hmm. but then they go out into the world and try to do the same thing that Kylie Jenner is doing, the same kind of business, Mm -hmm. and they're told that they're not good enough, they're not offered loans, they're told that they're slutty or nappy. I think about how Kylie Jenner's um, lip kits and her cosmetic business got all this Forbes put a magazine out about it. Then you have a black woman has her business actually surpassed Kylie Jenner's, yeah. and it wasn't until people were like, "Oh, hello, wait, there's a black woman that did the same thing." Yeah, that it was addressed. Like I didn't know. I don't, yeah. I'm not really into makeup like that anyway. Clearly, right. yeah, I mean, but I mean, I, I knew what a lip kit it. was. I knew what a Kylie Jenner lip kit yeah. was, but I didn't know there was a black woman that was doing the same thing, right. making that made more money because you just yeah. Just no one cared, I guess. Yeah. So I don't know if it's necessarily those actions of Kylie Jenner. I'm not sure if they're perpetuating negative stereotypes about black people or being actively disrespectful of black people. Tell me if you disagree. I haven't thought this through entirely, so it could be that I just haven't thought of it. But I do think that that instance is cultural appropriation because it's taking a piece of culture leaving everything else and then making money off of that without respecting where it came from and showing appreciation for an understanding of yeah the culture that it was taken from. Well, and I think my issue is that now that Kylie Jenner has made her money, her lip fillers come have come out. Yeah, also that. You know, yeah. and it's just like Okay, I, I use the parts I want, got what I'm... It's like the means does not justify the end right. kind of deal. And yeah. like, that's, like if it was cultural appreciation, mm-hmm. that would be something that she wanted to keep for herself. Right. Um, but you literally did create this image. Yeah. And, I, and like I've heard the argument that, you know, the idea is that she just really loves that look and she thinks that look is sexy right. and, you know, we should be flattered. Yeah. Or what have you. But she literally made her money and now she's going back to... Right. So, like, she couldn't have thought it was that sexy. Right. Yeah. She thought it was smart. Oh, is Kylie Jenner that smart to know what she was doing? 
Well, I mean, isn't she the same one that got so much flack for that uh, Pepsi commercial? That was Kendall. Okay. That's the other natural But, like, yeah, okay. But she's a model. But that was in the family. So the family Mm -hmm. has had so much feedback on all of the things that they've done. They literally are married to black men. Like, y'all should know. They should know. But Kanye also makes incredibly racist and inappropriate comments against black people, too. Kanye wasn't always like that. I used to like Kanye. I used to love Kanye. I want the old Kanye. Um, anyway. <laughs> okay. So, so that's one example. Absolutely. Another example that we talked about in terms of appropriating black culture is this like soul food movement. I think throughout the country, but in Atlanta, it's particularly it's, bad. Yeah. So we have, of course, in Atlanta, there's tons of black owned businesses and black restaurants that are selling soul food, soul food you know, Busy mac bees. and cheese, fried chicken, collard greens, uh, black eyed peas, black food. which are foods that have a history rooted in black culture. They mm-hmm. were brought, many recipes were brought over from Africa with slaves and we or, had to modify them based on the foods that we were allowed to even have. Right. Like, we eat chitlins because that was the only part of the pig that the people in the big house didn't want. So then yeah. they gave us chitlins and we flipped it and scripted it and made it our own and added spices and whatnot to make it tasty. Yeah. Fried that shit. Like, <laughs> collard greens like are all over like yeah. uh, Africa too. People eat collard greens yes. all over too. So it's a combination of both. Of both of, but, you know, there's it's a fusion. This, yeah, this deep history of soul food and yet we have all so we have all of these black owned businesses that are selling these things and making very little money and struggling to stay open and then we have these white owned restaurants that open up and market the same exact food as chic and bougie and southern cuisine traditional southern cuisine And there's a restaurant in Atlanta that's it was opened by the chef Kevin Gillespie, who's like I guess pretty well known chef. And he sell like the the restaurant is very modern and very hip. And what they sell is soul food. They sell chicken and salmon and mac and cheese and collard greens and all of the things that we just listed. And your bill at that restaurant for one person will not be less than eighty dollars to eat food that I can literally make in my kitchen. Yeah. We didn't have to go to... Are they teaching this at Cordon Bleu? Like, <laughs> I hope not. It wasn't even that good, frankly. So, like, if you're in Atlanta, don't go don't to... Go there. Just um, come... Revival, you can but... come over to my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were saying, like, there, Hattie B's is a restaurant that just opened in Atlanta. It's, like, Nashville a fried based. chicken. Yeah. And, like, a fried, hot chicken, fried chicken thing. And every time I drive by that place the line is wrapped around it's been over for a month now like get over it y'all it's just fried chicken okay we have fried chicken mac and cheese potato salad this is these are this is soul food yeah and it's being marketed as Nashville hot chicken and you said that you had it and it was fine and it It cost you like 14 dollars yeah it was regular freaking fried chicken which is crazy in Nashville yeah now I know there's some black people in Nashville but Nashville Nashville's so white yeah So this, again, is an example where white people have come in, taken a recipe from... people. Yeah, super bad. I was like, let me check and make sure they're actually white. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Yeah, so like these... And and men also. I mean, there's a whole other conversation to be had about like why women are expected to be in the kitchen, but all of the top chefs in the country are men. But that's like maybe our gender privilege episode, which we're well past. 
but you know white people are coming in and they're taking recipes that have historically belonged to or come from black people in the United States and from Africa and and it happens with other international types of food as well and they're turning them into the chic trendy thing that they can make a butt ton of money off of without giving any kind of appreciation and history and actively making it harder for these already struggling black-owned businesses to continue to survive. Literally gone down Auburn Avenue in the city and seen restaurants who are selling soul food, marketed it as soul food. No one's in there. Yeah. Like, how long can they stay open? But you go to Hattie B's and people will literally wait an hour in line for the same food. Yeah. And part of that, I think, is it's also class privilege and to a certain extent white privilege in the history like the economic history of of the united states and um, racial division of wealth but you know the white people these white chefs have access to loans and they have access to capital that allows them to open restaurants in prime locations where people are more likely to go whereas the black restaurants are opened maybe in parts of town that are not as desirable or i mean you know, Edgewood is really a desirable location, but the restaurants themselves don't have the fancy signs or they're not as big of spaces. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't know they're there, like you Hattie might Bees not looks go in. hella trendy. It does, yeah. And the soulful restaurant I went by on Auburn Avenue was regular. Like, it didn't look right. clean. Yeah. Which makes you think of the, the taco guy in L.A. Yeah. Who was talking about, you know, his little hole in a roll. Like, he's Mexican. He learned... Um, how to make carne asada, like mm-hmm. from his grant, his it's part of his lineage, his culture, and people would not eat there. Yeah, because it just didn't look a certain right. way. Yeah, and or now, you just don't even know about it because yeah. it's small, and they you know yeah. don't have the money for a big fancy sign. Thank or... God for Instagram. Yeah, it so, changed yeah. his life. Yeah, which is pretty cool. I think yeah. that like social media can can do that, and I don't think that means that like white-owned restaurants can't serve things that come from other cultures, right? Like, like it's fine if your restaurant serves tamales or fried chicken or falafel or, you know, uh, you know, it's, we're not trying to say that white people can only eat white people food and black people should only eat black people food and, and all of that. It's more that when you're in a place of privilege, it's important to acknowledge like, start marketing the food as Southern cuisine. Call it what yeah. it is. You know, I would respect yeah. it so much more. If it, call it what it is. Yeah. That's soul food. I'm a white guy who likes soul food, right. and that's what I sell. I think the website for Revival markets the restaurant and the food as food that his grandma made for him, which, like, may be somewhat true, but totally ignores the history beyond his grandma. Right. And don't tell me that you as a chef, like a culinary expert, don't know anything about the history of food. Like right. you are literally an expert in that area. Mm-hmm. So you should know exactly where these recipes came from mm-hmm. if you're selling them in your restaurant. Which is why we're labeling it as cultural appropriation because you're picking and choosing the parts of the history that yeah. you want, you know, that you yeah. think deem as marketable. And that's the problem. We're not, yeah. like you said, we're not saying don't eat this food or don't sell this food we're saying take it in its entirety not just the parts that you like right yeah and there's a i read about a restaurant that opened in seattle last year Mm -hmm. that's basically doing the opposite of what we're talking about they sell 
soul food. I think it's a higher-end restaurant that they sell soul food or, quote, southern cuisine. But the entire premise is that it comes with this history. And you know that... I think it's a black chef or a black-owned restaurant, but their whole thing is like, these are family recipes that came back from generations and generations and originated in like West Africa and were brought over here during slavery. And there was this whole history around it. And that's why it's on your plate today. There are literally people in this world, in this, in America who studied food history and soul food specifically on why we eat black eyed peas, like where Mm -hmm. the meaning behind this food comes from. So to just disregard all of that history and education that so many people have done it's sad. Yeah. Or that you have received. And like, again, we're not saying like, if you're a white person, don't eat mac and cheese. We because all that's love mac not, and cheese. Yeah. Or like, you know, you don't have to think about and like reflect on right. the history right. every time you eat a piece of fried chicken. Right. Um, but if you are a chef and you are actively making money off of this venture, mm-hmm. then you need to check yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Straight up. Check yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so that's appropriation. I mean, he's making so much money off of restaurants that are taking taking black culture and not giving it its due diligence. Yeah. Another example of cultural appropriation that I think probably everyone in the U.S. has heard of is appropriation of Native American culture. So wearing headdresses, cheering on the Redskins, wearing a slutty Pocahontas costume for Halloween. As though we haven't done enough today. <laughs> I know. Just, I know, right? You know. So what's wrong with that? Why, <laughs> why can't we call our football team the Redskins? So I was telling Charlotte how when I grew up in Ohio, we were my dad worked at Miami Ohio University, and back then in early, late nineties, there it was Miami Ohio Redskins, and that was their mascot. It had been their mascot since the day the school opened, and um, you know school was over a hundred years old, and they were going back and forth on whether or not they would change the name from the Redskins to the Red Hawks, which was a lot more respectful. And Miami, Ohio, which it has deep tribal history within the university in and of itself, not just the land, but the actual university, was still debating on whether or not they would be respectful of the Native American tribes that helped build that university. Yeah. And um, eventually they did change their names to the Red Hawks. They had to change all their logos and, you know, get a new mascot and people, I remember being in third grade, and people being up in arms about changing it from the Redskins to the Red Hawks. And I remember, I was third grade, I was like, wow, we gotta get new t-shirts? Like, that's silly. <laughs> we have to, I, have to get a, stupid. I have to get a new uh, co- uh, cheerleading costume. And then my parents explained to me where that, where the term Redskins comes from, what it means, and why that's not a term that we want to ever be, you know, associated with. And they, they likened it to... It being like someone calling us the N-word. Yeah. And that made complete sense to me. And at third grade, I understood. Yeah. And then I was like, but wait, we have NFL teams that still do that? <laughs> yeah. Whole nother, right. sto- whole nother ball game, literally. But I mean. And I think this is an example of a bunch of these pieces of cultural appropriation that we talked about in the beginning. So like, number one, misrepresenting and disrespecting marginalized populations. So like, of course, Native American populations in the United States are marginalized. We made sure of that when the Europeans came over and then there was the Trail of Tears and here we are today. 
Yeah, so we have taken a representation of what we think or what we thought Native Americans were, which is these, like, big guys who are covered in, like, you know... Primitive. Yeah, they're primitive. They're not wearing very much clothing, but they've got all of these, like, feathers and all of this, like, Native American paraphernalia on them. They've got a tomahawk, and they're angry and violent. And they're and warriors. They're, yeah, they're warriors. Don't have good language skills. Right, yeah. Like oh, they're, me, they're me. roots. Right. Um, me, man. Which is not true. Insane. They just spoke a different language. They didn't speak English until we came over, so... You know, why they're not uneducated. They're just, at the time, simply English as a second language learners. Um, But, you know, having a Native American in a headdress, not wearing clothes, presenting this very primitive image is actively perpetuating stereotypes about Native Americans that are harmful to the people, the many, many, many people in the United States today who still belong to Native American tribes and who are still a part of this culture that as a society we've kind of pushed under the rug and actively tried not to understand and not to appreciate. And it's, I mean, it's blatantly disrespectful because if you know what the headdress means yeah like why a man in a tribe would wear that and i think i think costumes that are like um nun costumes and people wearing costumes as priests i think that stuff mm-hmm. is disrespectful too and that and it but it's that i think people look at that and they they, they know they're being disrespectful and they think right. it's funny right. and whatever it's like we still have to drill it through someone's head that doing and not that being Native American is a religion, but I mean, I just feel like some of that stuff is blatantly disrespectful. We know it's disrespectful, but if I see a bunch of guys in nun costumes on Halloween, I'm probably right. gonna laugh. Yeah, but um, <laughs> you know, but for but I get highly offended when I because I I just feel like you don't know where the history comes from. And I think yeah. if you did, you wouldn't do it. Yeah, or at least even if you did, then you can make an educated choice about what you're representing with your body and yeah. like your clothing choice. Either be like know that you're being offensive or know that it is offensive and choose not to do it. But like ignorant like being offensive out of ignorant bliss is, is the worst choice to make, I think. But I think also that's picking and choosing certain elements of a culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like picking and choosing the headdress. We, yeah. Like I'm gonna wear this one thing about the culture, mm-hmm. not know anything else about it, just gonna pick this like one stereotypical thing. And I'm only gonna take it on during a certain time of year, like mm-hmm. Halloween or mm-hmm. when I'm at a football game or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I can pick and choose when I wanna take it mm-hmm. and when I wanna leave it. And when Native Americans in this country are fighting for their land and yeah. fighting for better education and fighting for more equality and better lives on the reservations. Mm-hmm. We have nothing to say about that. Yeah, we sit quietly and turn our backs. Cray cray. But when Halloween comes around, we want to be able to throw on the headdress. Yeah. And and the slutty Pocahontas costume. That's like suede and not even authentic. (laughs) Yeah. That is cultural appropriation. Yeah, Yeah, totally cultural appropriation. Totally not appropriate. And not just Native Americans. I feel like we were talking about like geisha costumes. Right. Like all this. I don't know the history behind that. But I know I would never put the makeup on. And, yeah. Like, I know it's not a costume. I know it's a custom, a, a tradition, right. not a costume. Yeah. I think sometimes we have to look at it in terms of, like, I'm a black woman. I don't want nobody stuffing their pants with pillows. Yeah. And getting big boobs and talking, like, oh, yeah, I'm bonk, quee, quee. That's yeah. disrespectful. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, so it's like, I wouldn't do that to another culture. 
So I think it's a little, it may be a little easier for me because I can easily feel how that might feel to someone else. But I know, you know, it's not difficult. It's a little difficult for people to show empathy sometimes. Yeah, when you don't understand. Yeah. When you don't have the same life experiences and the same perspective, it's mm-hmm. hard to take on a perspective that's not your own. Exactly. And there's also disagreement among yeah. people within different cultures about what is appropriation and what's mm-hmm. not. So, mm-hmm. like, there's a Facebook group that I used to be a part of that I saw this debate where so there were two women who were having a conversation both come from native american heritage so they both had grandparents who were of different native american tribes Mm -hmm. and one of them was on the page looking for someone who could make her a baby mobile with some native american symbols symbols, like uh, teepees and things like that because her grandfather lived in a teepee and that was something that was really meaningful for her And the other woman found that to be incredibly offensive and perpetuating stereotypes about Native American people and just simplifying the Native American culture down to things like teepees and uh, feather headdresses. And dream catchers. And dream catchers, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, you know, these people have very similar histories and very, very opposite views on what is appropriation and what's not appropriation in that instance. And so I think... That's probably true for all cultures. Absolutely. There's not a single answer. It's complicated. It's a complex issue. But I think, you know, if you're, if you are told that you're appropriating a culture or something, or if you read that something is cultural appropriation and that's something that you do, you should take pause and be able to think critically about whether or not that action is cultural appropriation or not. Mm -hmm. And I think how you do that is... If I did it and it's okay, can that same person in that same culture do it? And is it is it viewed the same way? Yeah. And I feel like if you if you the answer is no, there's your answer. Like, yeah. or if someone from that culture tells you that it's offensive, mm-hmm. then just stop doing it until you can sort out in your own head whether or not that's something you feel is okay for you to do. Like for example, like I've heard people complaining that the word tribe, like using the word tribe is cultural appropriation. Like this is something that comes from um, Native, you know, Native American or really a lot of cultures use a word, the word tribe or something similar. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's been kind of taken on in English as like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with my tribe. Like this is my close group of like girlfriends or my close people or like my bridesmaids or whatever. And a lot of people are like, no, that's cultural appropriation. You can't say that. White people can't say never that. heard that before. Okay, interesting. I can, I think that's... So, I don't think that's cultural appropriation. No, I don't and here's it's why. It's a word. It's a, so, it's a word that has a meaning, but it's not a negative meaning. And it's, it's not actually exclusive a positive to one group. Meaning. It's not exclusive to one group. And language is constantly evolving, and we're constantly taking words from other cultures and adapting them to our own language, or taking words from other languages. (laughs) Um, Like, there's a lot of words in English that we've taken, like uh, cul-de-sac, or, I don't know, other words. (laughs) Yeah, pick one. (laughs) There's a lot of words that we have in English that come from other languages because we don't have an equivalent in English. Mm -hmm. So language is constantly evolving and that's not a bad thing. I think to me that's cultural exchange, not cultural appropriation. And tribe has a really positive connotation Mm -hmm. because it says like, this is the group of people that I belong to. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with tribe. Yeah, I'm okay with it too. And I think I understand that there are differences in, in 
having a tribe, being from a tribe in Nigeria and choosing mm-hmm. to call your friends your tribe. Mm-hmm. But I think the general meaning is similar. Right. And and I think like if someone wants to tell me that I'm part of their tribe, that would make me feel really special. Because mm-hmm. we all want this sense of belonging. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But I think, you know, the first time that I heard that that was a uh, cultural appropriation, I don't use the word tribe. Me neither. Um, but my initial reaction was, okay, mm-hmm. okay, let I me, won't use it. I won't use it, mm-hmm. let me simmer on it, and like, when I have some time to critically think about it, mm-hmm. then if I decide that I, it's okay for me to use, and I'll start using it again, but until I have time to actually critically think about it, and understand why it is or isn't cultural appropriation, you I'm not going to You didn't get it. defensive? I didn't get defensive. <laughs> <laughs> I do get defensive when people say that yoga is cultural appropriation. I've never heard that either. Yeah, it's like... What culture? Is it taking away? Indian culture. Mm. Southeast Asian culture. Gotcha. But it's not... I mean, I don't think that it's appropriation. I think that it can be appropriation. Mm-hmm. And I think there are certainly things about the yoga culture in the U.S. that are ugly. Mm-hmm. And not Very really... suburban sometimes. Yoga, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, when it's about, like, the $150 pair of leggings that you wore and, like, yeah. being really skinny yeah. and, like... But I've always felt that the yoga instructors I've been around have done a good job of, like, making us understand, like, the language, where it comes Like, I feel like yeah. I've never just walked into a yoga class and I don't, I didn't learn anything. Like, yeah. not just moves, but I mean, like, this is, this is with the breathing technique that we're going to use. This is where it comes from. Like, I feel yeah. like yoga instructors are pretty informed about the history behind what I think do. it really, it's a wide spectrum. Okay. There are plenty of people... Who don't. Plenty of white people who are really educated about the history and who do really feel a connection to, mm-hmm. like, the lineages of yoga and, mm-hmm. like, the, you know, the more spiritual aspect of it mm-hmm. and where that comes from. And then there are also plenty of white people who have no idea, have no interest, or, like, actively disrespectful of gotcha. the culture. So... Okay. Yeah, it depends where you land. But anyway, (laughs) so I can get defensive about that. Yeah. So somewhat unsurprisingly, we are out of time for today. So we'll save our conversation about white defensiveness for our next episode. So stay tuned for that to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. And thanks for listening. Bye, y'all.